on I modified things then appears in your bulletin. It's from the 13th chapter. It's just two verses. But in these two verses, in the Gospel of John, you will hear what is nothing short of an audacious claim from Jesus to have a new teaching, a new commandment. I mean, everyone knew there were 10. Jesus says this is a new one. Normally, when you've heard this passage, it would be the Monday-Thursday service during Holy Week. So from the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. May these words, which once transformed the disciples' hearts, transform ours as well. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. Really? A new commandment? Who gets to do that? I think it might be helpful to remember how radical strange and, yes, even blasphemous, this might have sounded to anyone who heard a new commandment. But Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. When I've sat with our high school youth group during Ask the Pastor, they have their own version of it most years, and almost every time they ask some form of this question, uh, Rich, what is the heart of our faith? What's the most important teaching? What, what is central? They ask some form of that. And I usually end up saying, I think of Jesus' words in those final days of his life, that he said to disciples of every century to love each other as I have loved you. But disciples, both then and now, rather quickly discover that it is as easy and as, and as hopeful as this new commandment sounds it's really difficult to live. As simple as it is to remember, love one another as I have loved you, it's equally as challenging to practice. And yet, some form of that teaching appears 13 times in the New Testament. Apparently, they wanted us to hear it. The hope was that the world would know that we are Christians by our love. So how might we, as modern-day disciples, live into this ancient yet new commandment? Well, recently, several members of our congregation have asked our moderator and associate moderator if they might begin a broader conversation in our church about what it means to continue to grow as a place of love, inclusivity, and extravagant welcome, to love one another as Jesus has loved us. This potential process and congregational-wide conversation might very well include, as a congregation, writing a covenant of welcome, inclusivity, and affirmation that affirms that we are all God's people, created in the image of God. And yes, it's possible that part of this exploration will consider if the congregation wishes to submit to our this covenant that we write to the United Church of Christ to be a part of a denominational-wide designation as an open and affirming congregation. 
and yes, an important emphasis of our churchwide conversation and possible covenant is how we might include, welcome, and affirm those in our communities who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or non-binary. I mean, you should know it's not exclusively about that. It isn't. But its inclusivity does begin with those who have often been marginalized by the Christian church. So friends, I want you to think of the word covenant. The opening hymn is a covenant of hymn. We'll sing the final two verses in a few minutes. But a covenant is a promise made by people with and before God. Marriage is a covenant. A covenant to walk together through life for richer or poorer, in joy or in sorrow, whatever the tomorrow or the tomorrow after that brings. Joining a church is a covenant. Where each of us, when each of us joined this church, we promised to share in this congregation's work, sustain its worship, love its members, and seek its unity, its purity, and its increase. Covenants are one of the ways we witness to each other and to the communities in which we live. It is a witness as to who we are and what we believe. So I'm grateful for the members of our congregation who have asked us to consider what might become a very sacred conversation. But I also add that I think it's time. And I'm certain that some of you are asking the question, why now? I know you're asking because some of you have already asked me, why now? Well, first, it's because of our governance, which is our polity. Members of the congregation have asked us to consider this process of discernment. And of course, we are a congregational church, which holds in its origin that the highest earthly authority is us, the congregation, who together, and that's an important word, together, can most faithfully perhaps imperfectly, but most faithfully discern who God is calling us to be. But the second is personal and doesn't have anything to do with polity. I believe it's time not because we haven't been a place of welcome and inclusivity, but because we have been. One of the ways we witness to the world as to who we are is how we live and understand Jesus' new commandment to love one another as he has loved us. It's possible that this process and conversation might clarify our own understanding of who we have already been striving to be. I also believe, and this is important, that we can have this conversation with a generosity of spirit. If I didn't firmly believe that, I wouldn't stand before you today suggesting that I sense it is time it is possible that at times the conversations may be difficult, and it's certain we will not be of one mind. But I trust that we can have these conversations in a spirit of love, grace, and open-heartedness. You know, it's said that Leonardo da Vinci was once hard at work on what became one of his most famous religious paintings. He paused from the incredibly demanding task of painting Jesus' face. And the story has it that while he was trying to depict Jesus' face for the world, 
He was also in the midst of a bitter argument with a friend. And in fact, he had come from a time that he had lashed out at the friend and it sort of cut him to the quick. Da Vinci left that encounter angry and then he returned to the fresco, still trying to show Jesus' face to the world. And he discovered he couldn't paint a single stroke. I mean, his talent had not evaporated. Neither had his inspiration. But he quickly figured out his obstacle to his sacred task. He put down his brush, found the friend he had argued with, asked for grace, and extended grace to his friend. Then he returned to the fresco and proceeded to paint Jesus' face in what is now the world-famous rendering of the Last Supper. Friends, we can have these holy and hard conversations about how we wish to depict Jesus' presence in our world. We can have them if love, kindness, and grace guide our conversations. Because, friends, the history of the church, not just our congregation, but rather the great sweep of Christian history, has oftentimes been about conversations of love and inclusivity. And oftentimes the conversations have focused on what the Bible says. And yes, there are plenty of rules in Scripture. But throughout the history and the great sweep of, of Christianity, there has also been Jesus and the Bible's overarching principle of love. And I think it's fair to say that that arc of justice has always bent toward that principle of love. I mean, think of the 19th and 20th centuries when many churches, certainly having read the rules preventing women from answering the Spirit's call to ministry, churches set aside those rules and followed the biblical principle of love and equality for all. And probably the greatest and most divisive debate in Christian history lasted for centuries, and it was over slavery. And it may be surprising to you, but there is nothing in Scripture that condemns the institution of slavery. Nothing. There are verses which, as one writer said, suggest a gentler path for master and slave relationships. But there's no prohibition. But for the sake of the biblical principle of love and the equality of every person before God, churches set aside Scripture's rules for slavery and chose love. The pattern is this. Whenever a biblical rule against something and the biblical principle of love are in conflict, the church over time has followed Jesus' principle of love. I think the time is right, friends, to have what may not always be an easy conversation, but can be a faithful, maybe even sacred one. And I hope that this conversation might be how we faithfully discern who we are called to be as a family of faith and how we wish to show Jesus' face of love to the world. Some of you even said, how long will this take? How fast should this go? I don't know. I don't know, but I know this. This is the pace at which we will proceed. We will move at the speed of trust. But let us engage in these conversations, friends, with love as our core principle, with grace and kindness on our lips, 
and strive indeed to love one another as Christ has loved us. Amen. Will you please rise and let us join our voices together in the final two hymns, the final two verses of our covenant hymn.